The Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome to Just Love. Just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world through the lens of our Catholic social teaching. And one of those teachings or one of those values is a strong, robust participation in public life. Yes, politics, voting, deciding which candidate best represents what you think is in the best interest of the country. And I guess we have to admit, and there's nothing wrong with it, what also is in our own individual best interest, because we do have to be concerned about uh, about how things affect us. And if you think that might be a little bit selfish, um, just let's call to mind. Hey, Tom, what's the second great commandment? Uh, to, to, to love your neighbor as yourself. So <laughs> Jesus says you got to love yourself. And if my definition of love is, again, a little bit non-romantic, but my definition of love is willing the best mm. for the other. So mm. if you love somebody, you really want the best for them. Mm. And um, so that's, I think, what love is, wanting the best and doing those things that are in the best interest of the other. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, what's in your own best interest means loving yourself. Right. And so therefore, when we look at the politics, we got to take both into consideration. And because the love of neighbor, we got lots of neighbors <laughs> and we got oneself. So when we do think about who we're going to vote for, how we're evaluating a political debate, we do it from the perspective, well, what's in the best interest of my neighbor? What is the best thing for them and for all the neighbors together? And yeah, what's in my best interest too? So um, that is um, what is very, very important to us. So now that we're you know, a few weeks after election day, um, we're going to have a conversation with two people who kind of come from different perspectives about kind of their take on what happened in the election. Tom, what's your, let, let's begin with you before we go to our first guest. Okay. What was your reaction to the recent election? Uh, I, you know, Monsignor, I was, uh, I, like most people, you know, was watching the television. I guess I was expecting more of like what they called the red wave. But I think now that the results have wound up coming out, I think the results kind of indicate what sort of a divided nation we're in. If you wind up looking at the uh, at the results, you know, we have the Senate is in control of the Democratic Party. The House is in the control of the Republican Party. Um, And and I just think if you look at almost all the elections all across the country, um, they all came. Many of them came uh, within hundreds of votes. So if anything, I think it, it pointed to me the fact that we, you know, are a divided country, number one. And number two, I know we're going to talk about the importance of participation, local participation. I think if you look at the closeness, if you do care a lot about your opinions, your political opinions and getting them heard, I think this is just an indicator of how important it is to vote. If people didn't vote, 
they don't, in my estimation, they don't have a right to complain because I think you, know, you have to be in it to win it. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask our guests this. I don't know the answer. I mean, I, I followed a number of things, but do you know, um, Tom, if there was high turnout, low turnout in these elections? They said that, I mean, from what I was listening to, Monsignor, they said that there was a higher turnout than midterms generally, and that apparently for Republicans, uh, it was an extremely high turnout, but mostly in Republic, Republican-held districts. So that's why the high turnout didn't necessarily correspond to, uh, let's say, a bigger majority in the House, let's say. So I think the turnout was higher than a normal midterm in here, yes. Okay. All right. So that's good. So um, why don't we go to our first guest? Our first guest is um, is Jim Castro Blanco, who is Cotner, he's counsel to the Westchester County Republican Committee. Um, and so I'm delighted that he has agreed to join us on Just Love. Um, and to talk about his take on the recent election. Uh, Jim Castro-Blanco, thank you for joining us on Just Love. My pleasure, Monsignor. Glad to be here. Great. So let me just be, begin by asking you to give our listeners just a little bit of your background. How'd you wind up where you are and get interested in this type of stuff? Uh, really by pure happenstance. <laughs> um, I have very small children. Went to a, a golf course at seven in the morning because my wife let me out for the morning uh, and ended up uh, on a foursome with the then mayor of Yonkers, Phil Amaconi. Okay. Uh, and about the third hole, I looked at him and I said two things. I said, are you the mayor? He said, yes, I am. Uh, and I said, I think I voted for you. He said, well, that's good to know. And I said, boy, you hit the ball pretty well. Um, and <laughs> we started talking. Uh, and I was uh, an attorney with two small children, as I said, about three, four years old. Uh, and I was concerned about their schooling and I was concerned about their future. Uh, and I had never been actively involved in politics. And that began what became the last 20 years or so of my involvement in uh, the political arena as an attorney, as a candidate, as an advisor uh, and as a commentator. Oh, well, that's, that is a fascinating story. But what I really care about is how do you hit the ball on the golf course? Uh, pre-children pre really well. Now I'm happy to get out uninjured. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, anyways, that is, that's great. So, um, what does, let me just be very basic. You're the counsel to the Westchester County Republican Committee. So what do you do? Well, um, we certainly assist candidates with regard to the uh, petition process, which here in New York is cumbersome uh, and very technical. Uh, I have also been counsel for a number of candidates and not just Republicans, uh, Democrats, independents, what have you, when they've been involved in litigation related to races, either at the uh, inception where they're trying to get their petitions validated or invalidating their opponents. Uh, and even after elections where there are uh, recounts, where there are lockdowns, et cetera. Uh, people, when they want to run for office, uh, need an attorney. And we provide that. Okay. So let's get into it. Um, we're a couple of weeks now after the election. There's still, I think, some races that are need to be called, but pretty much most of them have been called. Um, you know, everybody knows that there's still a Senate race in Georgia, but it it's probably less consequential than it would have been. But anyway, so so a lot of the dust has settled. Um, Jim, what do you make of it? What do you make of the most recent election? 
I think the most recent election uh, reflected that a lot of the sentiment and a lot of the focus uh, continues to be on an individual who is not on the ballot this year and plans to be on the ballot two years from now. Uh, both Republicans and Democrats, for various reasons, want him on that ballot in 2024. And that, of course, is former President Donald Trump. Uh, interestingly enough, many of the candidates that he actively supported and the candidates that he uh, endorsed uh, did not do well uh, in and of themselves. And most importantly and significantly, I think, for the Republican Party, uh, where there were two candidates in the same statewide race and one of them was embraced by Trump or embraced Trump and the other did not. The one who did not finished markedly better. Uh, and that tells me a lot about what people are thinking, that they like the policies and practices of the Republican Party economically and socially, uh, and they don't like Trump anymore as a messenger. I think, Jim, I'm glad I asked you your, your reaction. Um, and when I hear things like that, I say, OK, that's a good perspective. What I also kind of think about is. It seems to make that case we're in a very fickle situation because the margin between those who vote one way and the other is not huge. And so that to a certain extent, what you said is true because, and I'm going to use words, so I'm going to, is a few more people think that way than the other way. It's not like yeah, everybody is saying no more. We're fed up. There's still a lot of people who are one way and a lot of people the other way. I think that's how you look at the results. And I, I think that that's correct, uh, Monsignor. And then yeah. New York State is not dissimilar to many other states in the union in that the vast majority of those who are registering, the young folks, I have a children who are 24 and 22 now, um, they're both independents. Uh, and uh, many of the folks in that generation uh, and many of the folks who already were registered as Democrats or Republicans have switched to what we call nons, non-affiliates right. or independent. Uh, and that is because they do not want to ra- walk in lockstep with a particular party. Uh, they're more interested in the policies that uh, particular candidates are espousing. And most importantly, I think they look at the character of those candidates, not just the message. Uh, you've seen that across the board. Um, recently here in New York, uh, an extraordinary uh, an extraordinary change. Uh, the head of the DCCC, uh, Maloney, uh, one of the most powerful Democrats in Congress, was beaten by Mike Lawler uh, in a district that is uh, populated far more by uh, Democrats. Uh, and yet Mike Lawler uh, in this environment was able to defeat someone who was extraordinarily well-known, well-funded, and a five-term congressman. There's a reason for that, and that's because Mike had a distinct message uh, that resonated with voters here in New York. So let me ask you specifically about that. How much, in your assessment, you've been around this for for a while now, how much is the message and how much the messenger? Do people vote? I'm giving you a kind of a choice, which is not really a choice. Do people vote for the message or do they vote for the messenger, the person or the policies? I think single issue voters are just that. They're about the message. Um, if you are you have a particular opinion on a single issue uh, that's going to drive you in either direction. And obviously, the starkest example is the abortion question. Right. There are folks who, if you are pro-choice, will vote for you in a heartbeat and those who would never vote for you because they are one issue voters. I think most folks now are not one issue voters. Uh, the message itself is important. Consistency of that message is important. 
but also, as I said, the individual carrying that message is important. Uh, we can look to Pennsylvania, which had an odd result this year. Right. Um, and uh, you, know, you could not get a more polished, free candidate person than Dr. Oz. Uh, much like Mr. Trump, he was a TV personality before he ever got into it. Um, and he certainly acquitted himself well in the one debate they had. Uh, but people had questions about who he was, whether he was genuinely a Pennsylvanian, uh, whether he was too tied to Donald Trump uh, in the past and going forward. Uh, and with regard to Mr. Fetterman, uh, they saw a person that they related to, uh, sort of the everyman with his hoodies and the like. Uh, and uh, they forgave his debate performance and are hoping, uh, as, as I would, that he gets better as time goes on with his difficulties with speech, language and uh, process. Right. Um, there you had a real interesting decision to be made by Pennsylvanians. Uh, in terms of both message, because they were distinctly different in what their focuses were, uh, and in the messenger. Uh, and you saw how razor thin that one was because of those factors. Right. It was very thin. So give me give me a little bit. You did a little bit, but give me a little bit more of the your analysis of, you know, what happened in the district in, in Westchester that we just talked about. And, <coughs> and I, so I'll, my disclaimer, I've never met Mike Lola. I've met Sean Patrick Maloney maybe once or twice at a dinner just shook his hands. I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't know either of them. Um, but from listening to, you know, some of the ads and some of the things, I would characterize both of them as non-extreme. That's the way I would. You know, I may be off, but but so what happened there? Well, I think what happened there, again, is a microcosm of what's happened across the country in that it, it appears for whatever reason, and I, I think it's an unfortunate circumstance, that the most effective way to reach voters is to paint your uh, opponent as extreme, to yeah. make your opponent not an opponent, but an enemy, yeah. uh, an enemy of people's ideals, an enemy of people's uh, beliefs, uh, to characterize uh, Mike Lawler, who I, I personally know well. I right. worked with him for a number of years in Rob Astorino's administration in the county when I was chief deputy county attorney, uh, is a man of character. Uh, and he is the farthest thing from, quote, MAGA Mike, end quote, right. you could ever come to. Right. Um, he had no affiliations whatsoever with Donald Trump in his entire career. And yet they were painting him out as, uh, as an acolyte of Trump throughout the entire process. Um, it is the same thing that happened with regard to uh, the governor's race where um, Kathy Hochul, in her debate with Mr. Zeldin, uh, kept tacking back to Trump and guns, Trump and guns. Uh, and she was smart. I have to give her credit for the last um, two weeks or so of that campaign, realizing that people were, in fact, scared, that people did, in fact, uh, believe that crime was a significant issue. She began trying to paint herself as uh, having reformed bail. Right in New York State, when in fact she was one of the architects of the cashless bail that passed and was a result of much of these uh, issues in the first place. Right, right. It's, it, I mean, I, I think, um, like I said, I don't, uh, I don't know individuals, but, but the thing that I was most impressed with after the, uh, after the election, recent, very recently, uh, when <clears throat> Michael was asked about is it time to move on from Trump? He was very clear that it's time to move on. He didn't equivocate in any way. And he, but, it, but I like the way he said it because he didn't say it in a mean way. He didn't say, he just said, it's time to 
time to move on. And, you know, a lot of people, because they're a little bit afraid of being primaried, are a little bit afraid to kind of say that. So I thought it was pretty good that he was able to kind of just say it very simply and very clearly. And I think that's that's very much Mike Lawler. Um, I'm very hopeful that he, uh, in helping govern this nation, uh, continues to be the measured person that I have known him to be. Uh, I'm fully confident that that'll be the case. Interestingly enough, we also have uh, a change in leadership of what will be the minority party in the Congress uh, because Nancy Pelosi is stepping down. Uh, And our understanding based on the recent news reports is that the individual who will take her place is Hakeem Jeffries, who is a congressman from Brooklyn. Um, And interestingly enough, I knew Hakeem before he was even a lawyer, because some, gosh, 28 years ago, I'm dating myself now, um, I was an assistant U.S. attorney, uh, federal prosecutor, and he was one of our interns. And I remember him well, and we'd actually gotten together after that um, uh, as an incredibly bright, hardworking young man, uh, and and I, I think of good character. And I would be hopeful that when they're in Congress together, uh, and although they're in different parties, that Mike Lawler and Hakeem Jeffries are the kind of people who can get together and work constructively. Right. Uh, that's what you want in your right. leadership. You don't want to paint somebody as extreme. Uh, and, and I've seen that. Uh, and and I, a lot of my friends and colleagues uh, uh, growing up in, as a lawyer were and are Democrats. And uh, I hear my Republican colleagues uh, calling them names. And, and I say, no, I know this person. This is a good right. person. This is a trustworthy person. Yeah. Yeah. I have to tell you, though, and speaking a little bit politically, um, I don't know Hakeem Jeff. I've met him a couple of times. And he, you know, I everything you've said, I get very good vibes, but I but I really don't know him. Um, I have to say, for the sake of the nation, I'm not I don't like the fact that the leader of the two leaders of one party are from the same state and the same borough even. And I think that's part of our problem that if you're in the middle of the country, you think my words, okay? You think the people on the coast are crazy nuts. And if you, on the coast, you may not pe- think the people are crazy nuts, but you think they don't matter. <laughs> you know, and that's my extreme phrasing of the word. So I'm a little bit antsy about having, you know, two leaders from the same area given how diverse the country is. Well, I, I agree with that. Um, and again, the, the good news and, and nothing, uh, again, pejorative against uh, Mr. Jeffries, who, as I said, I like personally, right. but I'm glad we now have a Republican Congress, however thin that majority is. Uh, right. It is, in fact, a majority. And yeah. there is a genius to the checks and balances uh, that are uh, part of our Constitution. Uh, and, and the fact that we do not have single party rule, uh, I think, is tremendously important. Uh, I live in Yonkers, New York. And for me, you know, I grew up in Yonkers, New York. Oh, all right. There you go. As um, I as I tell everybody, this will mean something to you, not to our listeners across the nation, but I grew up halfway between the seminary and the racetrack. Okay, I know exactly where you are then. <laughs> but what I was saying uh, the other day before this election, Neil, for someone like me who lives in Yonkers, it is literally one party rule from the top down. President Democrat, Senate Democrat, Congress Democrat, Governor Democrat, State Senate Democrat, State Legislature Democrat, County Executive Democrat, County Legislature Democrat, Mayor Democrat, City Council Democrat. Right. And layers of government, all Democrats. So you know, I think it's important to not just have dissenting voices, but to have balance in government, because you need to have that to move forward correctly. 
You know, Jim, I, I agree with you completely. My sadness is that when we have, at least in recent decade or more, my experience is, or my take, my perspective is that when we have divided government, we have paralysis, as opposed to moving forward with a public policies that take the best from one side, the best from another side, and you forge a piece of legislation that takes the good from one and the good from other. It seems to me that far too often, whoever is the minority position, they just throw up their hands and, and say, no, we're just going to stop you from doing anything. And so I agree with you. And it saddens me that that doesn't recently hasn't been happening too much. And, and I, I couldn't agree more. The, the problem is there are too many politicians and not enough statesmen. Yeah. Uh, and what I mean by that is that people are elected to office um, to govern. And I put that word in quotes. Uh, that means to a degree they can be leaders, but they are ultimately accountable to the citizens who put them into those offices. And it is called public service for a reason. Uh, I am a great believer in term limits. Uh, and I believe term limits should, should be not just local, but national, because you need new perspective, new blood. Individuals who have been in office for 40, 45, 50 years, um, it, they, they're completely out of touch with what it's like to be a normal citizen nowadays. Right, right. You know, it's interesting. It depends on the day of the week. I'm in favor of tame limits or I'm not. It just depends on what day you catch me on. And, <laughs> and the reason I say that is because um, and you are probably aware of this in, as you said, in, in New York, in a lot of places in New York, downstate, particularly, it is the election that matters is the primary, not so much the general. But but what also has my experience has been in New York City, particularly with term limits of the city council, is the day somebody's elected, they're looking for their next office. And it's not that they go back, you know. A citizen farmer, or they go back into business, they either then go to a lobbying firm, or they then are on staff of somebody and somebody on staff then becomes the elected. So like I said, depending on the day of the week you catch me, I either like it or I don't like it. And, and there's, there's a lot of that. And then there are unfortunately people who view um, public service as their profession and their entitlement. Right. Uh, and there's a difference between being a public servant as a police officer or a, uh, or a fireman um, and being a lifetime politician. Yeah. Um, I trust police and firemen. I don't trust lifetime politicians. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I, I think I got to tell you, Jim, if that were your platform, I mm -hmm. think you'd probably win every election. <laughs> I, ran, I ran for office once, but I, I can never do it again because my wife's informed me that I'd be the only homeless candidate in Yonkers. <laughs> What'd you run for? Uh, city council president. Um, in, it was, Yonkers? Uh, in Yonkers? In uh, Yonkers, 2009, I ran against a fellow by the name of Chuck Lesnick, who was the incumbent. Uh, nice fellow. And actually, Chuck and I got together before the election and agreed to not make personal ad hominem attacks in order to have our campaigns do that. It was going to be about the issues. And we stuck to that, both of us. And in a, an election of 25,000 votes, uh, I lost by about 130 um, uh, in a two-to-one Democratic city. So I think, uh, yes, messaging is important. And when it sticks to messages, people listen. Good. Um, Jim, you've been so generous with your time. Anything else 
that you'd like to share with our listeners that, you know, as you look at the political scene, anything particularly you'd like to share with our listeners that you think people should keep in mind as we kind of are trying to sort out better how we do this, I'm going to call it experiment in democracy. Any particular thing you think is important for our listeners to keep in mind? Uh, I think that going forward, I would encourage everyone to focus on um, not uh, labels and name calling, but on uh, actual accomplishments, uh, actual facts, uh, and actual um, character of the people who are running. Go beyond the fact that somebody's calling someone, um, uh, you know, liberal or conservative or radical or what have you. Uh, understand who they are and why they're running and what it is that they're telling you they're going to do. Ultimately, I do believe that all politics is local uh, and people have to make sure that the people who are entrusted with um, running their local governments uh, are people who are doing it for the right reason and having well, I mean, okay. right priorities in mind. So, so I'm going to do a follow-up question since you do it, since you asked that. Is, did Sean Patrick Maloney su- suffer the same fate as Joe Crowley and, and, and Cantor, where they got so caught up in what was going on nationally that they didn't pay as much attention to home? Well, he, the answer to that question is yes. I mean, he spent election night in D.C. He spent right. so much of his time raising money for candidates throughout the country. Um, the problem is when you become that person, you're not making sure that, uh, you know, the, the streets in Ms. McGillicuddy's area are uh, paved correctly, uh, that, you know, Mr. Johnson's uh, home isn't getting robbed, that the school system where uh, the Joneses are sending their kids is not indoctrinating them, it's teaching them. And when you lose track of those things, even as a nationwide elected official, as a congressman, you lose touch with why people put you there. And they understand that and they don't want you there anymore. Jim Castro Blanco, he is counsel to the Westchester County Republican Committee and shared some very, very good insights with us about the recent elections and where we should be going as a nation to kind of, and I'll use my words, get us on a little bit better course than seemingly we've been on for the past decade or so. Jim, thank you so much for joining us on Just Love. Thank you, Monsignor. It's been a pleasure. Just love. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Join us when we're back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Oh, you really want to see a change. And you mean it from your heart. You ought to get involved. Yeah, get up, get involved. Yeah, get involved. Welcome back to Just Love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And the world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world. We look at it through the prism of our Catholic values and social teaching. And we try to kind of help us to think through some of those things. We're now a couple of weeks after the election. A lot of the dust has settled. And we're talking about what what happened in that recent election and um What's going on in our political world and how do we think about it in terms of how do we make the participation better? How do we get better public policies about, um, you know, in the current political environment? And we just um, spoke to um, the Council for the Republican uh, uh, County Committee in Westchester. And we're going to speak uh, now to somebody who's been very active in Democratic uh, politics. He has been um, a he's a tenured board member of the Stonewall Democratic Club of New York City. And I am delighted to welcome to Just Love uh, somebody who I call a friend and always a delight to work with Dirk McCall. Dirk, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. I love working with you. And uh, it's an absolute honor to be on here. It's been fun working with you and Tom. So I just want to know, Derek, I got to ask you this. How is a tenured board member different than a regular board member? At Stonewall Democrats? Yes. So um, tenured means that uh, you're somebody whose uh, advice and guidance to the organization uh, is such that they uh, move you to the tenured board so you don't have to seek re-election uh, uh-huh. every, two, every two to three years because there's three years with the board slots. Okay. Um, and uh, I was served as president. I served as vice president. I served as secretary. Uh, I've been on the board longer than I care to admit uh, since 1994, which uh, that's a long time. Um, so it's, um, yeah, so I kind of like the... Uh, what are the what are the old guard who's uh, who sticks around and helps guide people? But uh, unlike uh, unlike a lot of people who've been around for a long time, I keep going out and recruiting more people. So, so, uh, so, Derek, does it mean someday you're going to be in the position of like Nancy Pelosi and Steny <laughs> Hoyer, where they're going to say, "Get out! We need the next generation." Well, that's the good thing about tenured because we don't count against the uh, the board seat. So uh, oh, we work okay. to get the people into the tenured position if they want people to stick around and continue to provide guidance. But um, we don't uh, we don't count against them. So you get to generate the new the new group of leaders. And uh, uh, when I worked in the Manhattan Borough President's Office and I worked in the Bronx Borough President's Office um, and in the City Council in Lower Manhattan, um, I was able to uh, able to recruit a lot of new people. So it's. Uh, uh, young, uh, young uh, leaders of color uh, from all different communities. And it's important for the club itself and the membership of the club to look more like the city. Um, if it was just the tenured board members, it's uh, mm-hmm. we're a very old and white uh, group of people. But uh, our last uh, three or four presidents have all been uh, young men of color. Um, so it's uh, it's been good. It's been good. We're, I, Did you I'm actually grow up people. in New York City? 
No, I'm a military brat. So I was raised on military bases, uh, predominantly in the South. My dad was uh, in the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers for uh, 33 years, uh, West Point graduate. Um, So I was raised predominantly in the South. Uh, My family's from Tennessee originally. I went to high school and college in Georgia. And um, I took a job out out of college uh, where I was moving to Miami. And I thought I'd do my entire career in Miami. Um, And that didn't work out the way I thought it was. They transferred me to Cleveland. And um, I made it through three snowstorms. Uh, three snowstorms and I drove my car off the road, uh, off the side of the road, because I don't know how to drive in snow. And uh, I was working, <laughs> as my father said, for a Colt. Uh, he's like, that Colt doesn't pay you enough to uh, to have your car up there and to fill the car with gas. I'm like, I know, trust me, I it, it runs out of gas. Uh, I ran out of gas twice. Um, uh, the public interest research groups, I still love them, but uh, <laughs> my father was so happy when I quit that job and moved back to Georgia. Uh, then I applied for graduate school and ended up uh, being accepted into the doctoral program in political science at Columbia. Uh, so I moved up here and uh, my mom said, you'll be in New York for one year. You won't like the cold weather up there. And I've been here since 1991. And uh, now she still tortures me. She's like, it's not much colder up there. You told me that. I'm like, yeah, thank, you. thank you, mom. I love you too. So, Well, I am delighted that you have, you came to New York and that you stayed and New York is better for it. So thank, thank you, you for, for being up here. You know, actually, I mean, uh, we probably overlapped a little bit because mm-hmm. I was at Columbia. Nice. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was there a decade before you. Uh, I was in a decade before you up there. So you've had a, so now you are the head of the Sunnyside uh, Shines Business Improvement yeah. District. Let me tell you. That name didn't come out of a sophisticated New York <laughs> ad agency. There was somebody in the somebody's back room who thought that was a good name for it. No, it's uh, it was the founders of the bid. Uh, they were trying to find a way to uh, to really market Sunnyside. And when I moved to Queens uh, in 1994. Um, Sunnyside was an Irish neighborhood. It was very Irish. Uh, it was very white. Uh, you'd walk in Sunnyside and Woodside and you'd hear Irish accents everywhere. Uh, and you knew what the neighborhood was all about. Uh, at this point, Sunnyside is a melting pot. It's very diverse. It's 50% Latino. Um, it's uh, probably 30% Asian. Uh, it, we have a, a large white population too, but it's Turkish and Romanian and uh, some Irish. Uh, the, a lot of the merchants are still Irish. Uh, Latino community, it's uh, Ecuadorian and Mexican predominantly, but the merchants tend to be Colombian. Colombian. Uh, so it's, uh, we do 25 uh, community events a year. Uh, and it's, uh, it's always exciting. I get up in the morning and I don't know what the day will bring. Mm-hmm. I generally have my to do list, which I, I start making about 630 in the morning. And uh, by the time I get here, I try to get at least through half of the list each day. And it's, it's exciting. It's fun. It's a dynamic neighborhood. Um, I've had, I've had uh, one of the best years of my life here. So, so let me, maybe you've answered the question for me. Mm-hmm. In, in, and I'm going to ask you two parts of the question. Okay. Um, is um, you've had so many different public service jobs, uh, a lot of them politics, business improvement districts, depending on how you want to phrase it, maybe political, maybe not, but however you want to look at it. But you've been in a variety of things. What, what, what have you liked best? That's, that's a really tough question. Yeah. Um, I like to stay busy. So if I'm busy and the work is interesting, then I'm happy. So I would say probably here has been one of the happiest times I've been just because it doesn't ever slow down. Um, 
we have a staff of two. We need a staff of about seven. Um, so it keeps you on your toes. Um, when I worked for Bronx Board President Ruben Diaz Jr. for seven years, um, I think that was one of the times I've been most happy in my entire life. Just uh, Ruben's management style is empower your directors, uh, give them overarching goals, let them come up with uh, solutions on how to achieve it. Um, and I was in one of those really nebulous roles, external affairs. Uh, right. So I got involved in everything. Uh, so I would I would get in meetings with people would be like, what's Dirk doing here? And uh, there was always <laughs> a reason. Uh, Ruben generally understood uh, what I was trying to achieve. And he was always happy. He was like, you bring more connections to the office of the Bronx uh, than, uh, than anybody. So, um, so let me share with you a little bit of my own, with our mm-hmm. listeners, um, a little bit of my own kind of uh, career at Catholic Charities. When I first came to Catholic Charities after graduate mm-hmm. school. Um, I was I had been in a mm-hmm. parish in Washington Heights for oh, wow. seven years. And then I came to, to Catholic Charity. And they were saying, well, you know, maybe you go in this department, you know, you could go there, blah, 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 blah. And I said, you know, let me make a suggestion to you. I said, there's a lot going on here. And a lot of people are doing parts of it and things. I said, why don't create an office of special projects and let me do that. And I'll, I'll do things that like are across different areas and that need more than one area, or I'll do the things which are in no area. Yeah. yeah. And so I did that for two or three or four years. And it was magnificent because I got to do everything that nobody else wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And some of it was like, not so good, but there was a lot of it that was fascinating to do. And I got to meet everybody because I did things with people in different departments. So I consider that to be a really, really neat thing, which kind of is a little bit like external affairs. It's exactly the same thing. Because external affairs was originally just intergovernmental, yeah. uh, but uh, I, I, you know me, I'm not easily contained. So, right. so, so let's go on. We're speaking with Dirk McCall, who is currently the CEO of the uh, Sunnyside Shines Business Improvement District. For our listeners who are across the country, um, Sunnyside is one of those neighborhoods in Queens. Queens is one of the five boroughs or counties of New York City. And uh, a lot of, we got a lot of business improvement districts. I've got one around Grand Central. We have one around Wall Street. We have in a lot of different areas. This one happens to be in the neighborhood called Sunnyside in Queens. And Dirk is the guy who's doing the job. He's running it all. So, so Dirk, let's now talk a little bit about elections. Okay. Um, give me your take. Give me your take on the recent uh, uh, elections. So I come at this from a very interesting perspective. I'm I'm a very active Democrat, but I was raised in a Republican household. So I was raised in a Republican household in the Deep South to a military family with an incredibly uh, Christian family. Um, so I grew up as a conservative. I worked in Republican politics before I got involved in Democratic politics. And I've always thought that everybody should be working together. We should all be finding the middle ground. Um, my mother still thinks I'm a communist, but uh, in New York City, I'm actually considered right of center at this point, which uh, 
never fails to surprise and shock me. Um, I got called a right-wing reactionary recently, and I was like, really? How very interesting. I, I think anywhere else in the country, I'm considered a radical Marxist, and here I'm considered a conservative, a reactionary of some sort. Um, so I, I was looking at these elections to see what would happen, because the media narrative versus what a lot of us were feeling and seeing from the people we were talking to were very different. And I, I, I have friends all across the country. I talk to people. I'm very social. Um, and I just, I was like, I think people are coming out to vote and it's not going to be a red wave. I don't think this is going to be a red wave. I, I think we could actually end up gaining seats. Um, I don't know that it was going to be a lot just because the president's approval ratings weren't as good as they could be. And people, people like divided government. So they held the Senate. And I thought that was very interesting. I'm waiting to see what happens with uh, the, the seat in my home state uh, with, uh, with Reverend Warnock versus uh uh, Herschel Walker. I, I grew up in Georgia when Herschel Walker was uh, the closest thing to uh, uh, to mm-hmm. royalty in the South. Yeah. And, uh, his name was amazing, but there's a lot of new people in Georgia. Uh, whenever I go back to Atlanta and I, I'm hanging out with people in Georgia, I um, people keep telling me about how many new people have moved to the state, people who don't know UGA, who don't know Herschel Walker, who have no idea who this guy is. So it's going to be interesting. And then the House I was thinking that the Democrats might hold the House. Uh, I think it's going to be within like four or five uh, seats. Uh, so it's interesting. Um, I'm hoping that some of the more moderate Republicans, uh, the ones who are left, uh, stand up. And uh, maybe they and the, uh, the the moderate wings of both factions, uh, both the Republicans and the Democrats, unite and uh, have a speaker who will not spend all their time doing investigations and picking fights because we have a lot of really serious issues. I, I get all these calls uh, from different people like, say, do you want to come to this event and meet this person? And, I don't like federal politics particularly. I, I, I deal everything on the local level of the state level, generally New York City. I've done all my career in New York City politics uh, and city government. And I've never been willing to go work for the state. People are like, why don't you go work for Congress? I've never had any interest in that. Um, so I'd like to see them working together because that's did, what we but need But you to did do. work on a few federal campaigns, right? Yeah, yeah. I, Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, when I was uh, between jobs, when the economy had collapsed, uh, threw me a lifeline and uh, <laughs> said, I'm going to keep you here. And I was like, thank you. So I, I had to pay bills. Um, and uh, I love Carolyn. I, I'm very sad to see her departing at the end of December because she, uh, her heart is in this and she's probably the best at appropriations of any member of Congress I've ever seen in my entire life. That woman brings back more money to New York City than anybody. She's indefatigable. Um, and, and here at the bid, we just got Nidia Velasquez as our incoming Congresswoman. They drew, redrew the lines. And I'm a huge Nidia Velasquez fan. Nidia Velasquez has a lot of energy. She's, uh, she's very dynamic. Uh, she's uh, big about empowering uh, Latino uh, merchants. Uh, and uh, Sunnyside just happens to be 50% Latino. So um, with her and Marlene Centrone, I, uh, I'm hoping that we'll still get a lot of good work done uh, here for our merchants. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, I, I was happy with the results overall. I, I just hope people start working together. I, all this like bomb throwing, I, I, I've learned I'm very conflict averse. <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> like conflict. The, the nastier they get on both sides, the, uh, the less I like it. But, um, but Dirk, let me, let me push back a little bit and say, that I is two things. One, I, I, I completely agree with you, but make me undepressed that it's actually going to happen. It's interesting because my mother's a hardcore Republican. My mother right. votes pretty much party line down the, the down right. the thing. And she's like, I remember when everybody got along and everybody would try to yeah. find places where they could like agree. And even though we disagree on a lot of things, she's right about that. And yeah. that's, 
what I like to see happen too. So I think there's some chances. It's the problem lately is that uh, there's been so much gerrymandering. So people play to the more extreme parts of their party. Um, And the, the people who are like solving problems aren't the ones who that's not a good sexy sound bite. So it's uh, social media has amplified this. Uh, Some of the news networks have amplified this. Um, And then people become very polarized and nobody wants to work. So people who, when I first, I was the president of the Powhatan Democratic Club in Astoria for uh, over a decade. Um, And I used to be able to get everybody involved. And I was just like, it's the party's what you make it. Come to the, come to the club, uh, push your issue. Let's, let's push the elected officials on what you want to talk about. And so when I was the president, the club was probably about 50%, uh, pretty hardcore left people and the rest were the the old guard uh, for the democrats in astoria um and we were the biggest club in western queens um it's really hard because you have to like walk a tightrope you have to like pull people together um and that's not always that easy then nobody on either side trusts you is the problem so i uh, i found this out the hard way when i ran for judicial delegate this last time they they convinced me to run for judicial delegate and uh, i've been very critical of the queen's democratic party for not having an openly gay judge uh, queens is the only borough in the city that doesn't have one and uh, i think it's appalling uh, so county wasn't as happy with me as they could have been <laughs> um and a bunch of the the regular democrats wouldn't vote for me on that uh, on that basis because they're like he's a loud obnoxious gay activist who's like <laughs> pushing his agenda on us and i'm like no i'm just trying to have diversity um but then the dsa people who uh, really run a story right now right. Uh, we're all like he's too conservative he's not a DSA <laughs> person so i i came in second to last um <laughs> despite uh, 25 years of uh activism in a story and everybody knows me but they're yeah, yeah that middle ground oh. is not always the okay so we're gonna place. we're gonna have a lightning round okay <laughs> lightning round on four issues four issues okay four issues um term limits I support them in general. Open primaries. That I think is is a very problematic thing. I, I understand the inclination for open primaries. I come from Georgia, which is an open uh, open primary yeah. state. Okay. Uh, it does open the op- the possibility for people meddling in other primaries just to try to get the and that never happens person. now. It does, <laughs> but I think open primaries make it a little okay. easier to do. I'm, okay. I'm nervous about open primaries. All right, ranked choice voting. I strongly support that. That's okay. the way to make sure that you get more people who are in the center and moderate and willing to work across the aisles. Nonpartisan redistricting commissions. Oh, that's that's the most critical thing facing okay. the country right now. You need that. You need it everywhere. Um, the Democrats would have held the House if there hadn't been some egregious gerrymanders. And then the gerrymander that was attempted in New York was done in such a such a way that uh, a, a judge in like an underpopulated yeah. part of the state was able yeah. to like throw everything out and uh, and yeah. kill our delegation. I. It's, but it was uh, an overreaching. It probably was overreaching. Yeah. It was probably overreaching. I mean, they, and, they could have taken a little bit, but they wanted it all. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, I think. So they I, were th- so I think we're. I think we could cut a deal on those four issues because yeah. uh, redistricting. I'm completely with you. Hundred percent. Completely on ranked choice. I probably lean to- because I'm independent. I'm not. Yeah. In, mm. I probably lean towards open primaries, and I'll take the chance on meddling. Okay. Because at least gives me an independent <laughs> yeah, the opportunity chance. to vote in election that matters in New York yeah. City, you know. Here, but here. but I can see why not. And uh, term limits, I go either way because sometimes mm-hmm. for the nation we got a. I think we got a problem with two term limits for the New York City Council. Yeah. I'd probably go with three terms. That's probably better. 
Yeah. And for borough president, because by the time you get your projects really running, your eight years are up and you're gone. Um, but yeah, that's the, the fact that the uh, it's people have called uh, Congress a gerontocracy at this point. Okay. And that's uh, I was very proud of Nancy Pelosi and Cindy Hoyer uh, yeah. for stepping aside and allowing yeah. new leadership. Yeah. Um, this is something that really has to happen on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, on the church council of my church, if you've been in office for more than five years, you have to get a substantially higher percentage to be renominated, uh, 70%, then 80%, then 90%. Um, it still doesn't require, it just still doesn't facilitate as much transfer and, and turnover as possible because you want to keep people involved who know the process, yeah. but you also have to empower new voices because otherwise things stagnate. Well, and I think the problem we have right now in New York City with the two terms for the city yeah. council is not that they don't get to know the job. The day they get in, they're looking for their next job. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it's kind of a little bit of there. But anyway, Dirk McCall, uh, I hope this was on your to-do list today so you get credit. It was. So it was. You get I'm credit crossing for, it off. <laughs> so crossing it off. Thank you so much. And you'll come back awesome. again when we got another time. Definitely. You tell me, you tell actually, me when. Well, you know what? You want, Sometime, I think people need to know what these quasi-governmental things do. So I want to hear how you're revitalizing Sunnyside. We are doing so much. And you tell right. me when you want me to come back, I'll come back and talk about that until uh, until you tell me to be quiet. <laughs> okay. Be quiet now because I'm going to have to say goodbye. Thank you. Later. Take care. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
Now, let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Welcome back to Just Love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Well, we're coming up on Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is around the time when we make that transition in the church liturgical year, the church year. So this weekend, we're going to be celebrating the last Sunday of the year, which we celebrate Christ the King. There are some people who don't particularly like celebrating kind of titles or realities that don't have something associated with them. And what I mean by that is like Trinity, the Holy Trinity is what we believe our God is. But when we celebrate Trinity Sunday, it's not like anything really happened. Christ the King, we celebrate Jesus as the universal king, but we're not celebrating anything happened. Contrary to like Easter, we're celebrating that Jesus rose, Christmas that he was born, the ascension that he rose. So some people say, well, that's when we should celebrate the saving acts of Jesus, what we're done. But I'm not one of those. I kind of think celebrating the reality of God and who it is and trying to figure out how that becomes more part of our understanding of God, deepens our understanding, which then influences how we live. So I'm kind of like Christ the King. And as some people also say it's a little bit too triumphant that it's, you know, Jesus was a suffering servant, not a triumphant king. Well, okay, but he is a particular king. He is the one to whom we look up to. And we believe that his governance and everything, as so much of the scripture said, it's gentle, it's caring. And so that's not such a such a bad thing uh, to happen. So I like Teresa. And I also like the fact that on this last Sunday of the year, this year, before we begin preparing for Christmas and Advent, it really is the Sunday when we raise up the poor in our world, whether it be World Day of the Poor, which, um, which Pope Francis has instituted recently, or in our own country, where it is the collection for activities that support the poor, whether it be the campaign for human uh, human development in most of the dioceses of the country, or in some of the other dioceses, in the spirit of the Catholic campaign for human development, they take the spirit as we have in New York and call it the Catholic Charities Campaign for justice and charity. But throughout the country and throughout the universal church, we are celebrating the fact that um, that the poor, or mocking the fact that the poor have a special claim on our attention, a special claim on our resources. So that is one of the things we celebrate in Christ the King this year. And so we call to mind that Christ our King has a special interest in the poor and the vulnerable. And that's critically important because so often our earthly leaders, they don't. 
They foster to those who can get them to stay in office, those who can further what they want to do. But Christ our King does care for the poor and the vulnerable. And so this Sunday, Christ the King, let's keep that in mind. World Day of the Poor, the campaigns for charity and justice, the human human development. Thank you for being with us. Have a very blessed uh, Thanksgiving. Just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and make the world more just and more compassionate. The Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to The Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.